I'm good. And I'm Gamgoon, and this is the Good Game Podcast. A retrospective on recent events in the gaming industry. All right, folks, tonight we're going to start with a little bit of a warning for those of you out there that happen to indulge in a little bit of the Team Fortress 2 or CSGO. There was recently a source code leak. This is from a 2017 build of TF2 and CSGO, and that leak basically gave people the ability to host private servers with that source code. If they do that, the reason it's potentially dangerous to you is because that source code has a vulnerability in it that allows for remote code execution, which basically means that they can run code on your computer, which allows them to do all sorts of terrible, malicious things. Valve has come through with an update and let everybody know that if you're playing on the official servers that you shouldn't really have any issue with this because they are all secure and the current code bases used on the official servers are all good. No remote code execution is available through them. So basically what I'm saying is if you're one of those folks out there that likes to play TF2 on a friend's private server or CSGO on a friend's private server, maybe reconsider for at least a little while until Valve gives you the all clear or just be really, really careful because remote code execution can allow people to do all sorts of nasty things with your PC that you do not want them to do. And it would be a shame if during this time where we're all trapped inside, something horrible were to happen to your system. Uh, that, that was just a little bit of a warning here from myself and GameGoon. Now we're going to move into something that's a little bit more fun. GameGoon, tell me about this... Uh, Gaming and and brand cross-promotion between Epic and Travis Scott. Well, recently, Epic Games decided to do another in-game concert in their leading game, Fortnite. They made a host of skins. Um, I think three or four skins. One being kind of Travis Scott himself. And then another, I think, uh, kind of a character he had on some of his album covers. And then they had basically a whole, I think, maybe like, 10, 15 minute concert set kind of scripted or programmed out into their game and they kind of been hosting it from the weekend of the about 24th to April 24th to like the 27th multiple shows they said for the first showing that they had 12 million participants concurrently for the first show which is pretty good turnout wow that is I didn't realize the numbers on this. That is actually incredible. Um, So, folks, this is a really interesting phenomenon to me because this isn't the first time that I've heard of gaming mixing with music like this. Uh, Those of you who are old like I am, you may have actually played this really great old MMO called Anarchy Online. It is a Funcom MMO from back before Funcom was Failcom. And this was one of the sort of early predecessors to things like WoW even. Uh, It was around in the same time as EverQuest. And when Anarchy Online went free to play, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, I'd have to guess. That's a guess. Don't hold me to that. Uh, They actually did a campaign with Motley Crue where they advertised Motley Crue in the game. And you would see billboards that had Motley Crue on them. And they were like doing their song and stuff. And it was... Really, really cool and interesting because I'd never seen anything like it. But even that was not to the level of this. Like, there were no Motley Crue models in the game, although that would have been very interesting. Uh, so this is super cool. They had 12 million viewers, too. That's that's just insane, right? So do you think, Game Goon, that considering that a lot of experts are maybe hinting that we may be doing this social distancing thing until 2022, that we might see more of these types of collaborations where we get more digital concerts and things? 
Um, this is a small question. There's 12 million players, not necessarily viewers. I mean, 12 million people log into Fortnite in the instances for the concert. They could have been streaming or whatever, so the viewer number is probably a little bit higher. But yeah, this is it's, um, it's a nice kind of cross-promotional event and giving the kind of current state. You can see more events kind of like this. And this is the second one Fortnite has done. They did one before with Marshmallow. So... I don't know. It is kind of, there's been lots of online concerts for like the different relief efforts around the world. And I don't know if any of this was connected to any of that, but it is an interesting kind of gaming cross-platforming kind of experience because it was a concert that you actually, you're in Fortnite. And so basically you're able to do like all the different Fortnite things. You can build stuff up because you're in an actual Fortnite map. There was, like, obviously PvP was turned off, so you're not killing someone during the concert. But, like, the dancing and emails and stuff and building could still be done. And it was interesting. I didn't do, didn't participate in it myself, but it was like, I watched some videos of it. It was pretty good. And the music's all right. Obviously, another thing, uh, the funny thing I thought was funny about it is that since um, Charles Scott's obviously a rapper, one of his songs and Four Nights for his rated teen, they had a kind of bleep out some of the explicit words in a few of his songs for his little mini concert. <laughs> that is that is a very interesting thing. I'm glad that they turned PvP off, because, I mean, you wouldn't want Ninja to snipe Travis Scott. That would be terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is really intriguing to me, because they're, like, have you ever heard of Vocaloids, Game Goon? Uh, yes. There's, what's the popular ones, like Miku or something like that? The Like the green girl? So, so one of my daughters was into this. It's Hatsune Miku. And essentially, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. these are like Japanese pop stars that are actually digital characters that sing digitally created songs. Um, so it, it's intriguing because... That's something that's already kind of been in the world and existed. And now we have this, which is not exactly that, but it's kind of analogous to that. And I like, honestly, I think this is great. I think this is a really, really cool opportunity for a new sort of industry to come into existence due to the global pandemic. And what's really intriguing about this and like some of you will follow along with me here and get what I'm saying. But have you ever been to a concert where you're like super excited, like you're over the moon this is going to be awesome this is the show you've been waiting for and then you realize that there is so much audio fixing that happens in the studio and the band actually kind of sucks in real life uh this basically avoids that Th there's no more need to destroy the fantasy created by autotune you can just enjoy it digitally pre-rendered and pretend that everything is fine and i know maybe that's sort of silly but at the same time I would be happier to pay for that and get the experience I'm expecting, I think, than I would be for some of the shows that I've paid to go to. And it's just been like, really? R really? Like, I get it, but really? Uh, so th this is cool. I think this is a very cool thing. And I'll be interested to see what they do with this in the future. Maybe uh, next time Epic can get so some rock people in there because I, I would you know, be more interested in checking that out. I'm just saying, like, that's more my style. Yeah, it's an interesting prospect. You can see, like, um, another thing that's kind of, I like, small similarity to this is not exactly the same, but 
Yeah, if you watched the last couple of League of Legends World Championships for like the last two years, have you seen some of those? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so, you know, generally for the past few years, they've been doing the World Songs. And specifically for the last two years, they kind of had like the songs with like done with like characters where they were voiced by real people. Or they had bands like who were kind of in. So the champ, yeah, they had. Um, in their uh, game, their alternate universes where they put like their characters in like a band, like a boy band or like a girl band, like a rap band. And for the past few years, they did that. And then they made a music video with the song for so the theme for the World Championship. And then at the live championships, they had the characters kind of do like a hollow performance there. And then they had the people that the artists they signed to voice them in the videos kind of also performing beside them on stage so it's not exactly how the travis scott is inside the fortnite concert but it's kind of those kind of cross promotion thing where it's like you're like the brands and the game coming together to make a certain like good experience like a cross brand explosion explode exposure experience no 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 you had it right it was an explosion of true damage Right, right. That was what the last one was, wasn't it? Yeah, the last band for Riot was True Damage. Yeah, the, I thought that was great, man. I thought that was great, and uh, it, it's really exciting to see the the kinds of stuff that people are being creative and coming up with in this this current situation. You know, well, I mean, that was before the current situation. I can only imagine what Riot is going to do now. Like, <laughs> they they have a tendency to kind of go, "We need to knock this out of the park." So I'm excited to see what they decide to do next because. If everybody else is getting on that bandwagon a little bit, then Riot will probably find a way to up the game as usual. Well, yeah, and so and like and then they've recently did the the they're or they're currently doing their kind of cross brand promotion with Louis Vuitton, where they're doing a couple of Louis Vuitton skins for their champions in their game. So it's kind of interesting to see where like what kind of brands and other things traditional like. Uh, companies would kind of partner up with different games for cross-promotional events in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there is nothing but uh, but bright things ahead for this this whole type of media, and I am extremely excited to see where it goes. Uh, that being said, folks, we're going to move on because we do have a couple other things to talk about tonight. One of those things is another great technological advancement, and this one isn't so much warranted by the pandemic, but it is very, very much welcomed by myself and hopefully a lot of you as well. Steam has begun an experiment with their search engine where they want to use machine learning to make the searches more accurate. Uh, so Game Goon, you were telling me that they're they're basically trying to refine how you search for things like real-time strategies, right? Yes. Um, basically, right now, there's this uh, kind of a two-fold searching um, implementation they're fixing. They're working on improving the tagging system. Because like one of my favorite game genres right now is, or game genres, is real-time strategies. And then some of the games in Steam library might just be tagged as RTS or just real time or just strategy. And so if I were to go type in a strategy game, um, art, uh, uh, real time strategy, it would show me the games that are tagged with real time, but it wouldn't show me games that are tagged with RTS. So they're kind of using machine learning to kind of more accurately tag games and widening the searches when you um, search for games in the search bars so instead of just so that it's ah, so it's more it covers a wider net than it currently covers it's okay man i struggle with english sometimes too it's totally fine 
Uh, but I, I get what you're saying, and I, I think that's a really cool technical innovation, too, because which is, what's especially interesting there is that they can also reverse engineer that. So, for example, if you were to search for RTS, they could also be like, well, we know what RTS is now, so we'll look for real-time games and also strategy games, and we'll maybe show those further down the list because they're not a perfect match, but they are partial matches to what you're looking for. Um, and that, that is, you know, as a search tool, that's all good and fine. And I'm, I'm sure you're all sitting at home going, okay, so I can search games better. What's the big deal? Well, what I'm interested in is if steam can use machine learning for this, can you imagine some of the other things that machine learning could be made to do? Uh, Ga game goon, what, what if we lived in a world where instead of early access being this thing that has to be constantly policed by the gamers who have to report stuff that's just janky, obviously janky, there were machines that could learn to identify janky early access projects and just pull them down preemptively. How, how great of a world would that be? Um, that would be a good world, but... I think that's a little bit more capacity than some of the projects that are just by enhancing the searching parameters. But yeah, there's definitely lots of improvements can be made using machine learning in kind of any kind of store platform. Whereas right now they're focusing on working on discoverability because that is the thing a lot of people complain about, even though we have tons of games in our libraries that we probably never played. We're always searching for new games to buy for whatever reason. Yeah, so I, I see, you know, I mean, I get I get what you're saying that like, yeah, this is a good tool for people that are looking for something new. And at this current time, like games, if you're a gamer, it's a great time to be a gamer because you may have a little extra time on your hands you need to fill. And that's a great way to do is find something new to check out and play. Um, and we will be using this as a segue to go into something else here in a moment. But I mean, I just I, I like the idea of moving into machine learning. And this is a little bit of an aside here, a little personal aside. But uh, in what I do for my day job, I, I do coding and things like that. And we've just recently been moving into a software that uses AI learning to make parts of what we do easier. And it it blows me away by how much these AI learning and machine learning programs can actually do. And it's kind of crazy because like. Okay, the early access thing, maybe that's a little bit ambitious, uh, but it could fairly easily recognize things like when somebody or when a game studio posts the same game under like five different studio names, like that's something it should be able to relatively easily find and get rid of because that's been a problem in the past. So I'm just really excited about the overall capabilities. And I guarantee you that Steam may be using this on their search engine right now, but whatever data they're gathering on this and how efficient it is and how it works, they'll probably be looking to redeploy in other areas of their company because that's generally what you do in coding is you look for ways to reapply things that you've already built upon to provide further efficiency for the company. Um, so very, very promising thing there. But on the topic of games to be playing when you are in your house in quarantine for the global pandemic. You were telling me about an article from PC Gamer about games that are maybe worth revisiting in these trying times. Yeah, PC Gamer recently posted a question of what ongoing game has changed the most since launch? And so they got a couple answers from their writers and some of the forums. And also, if you have a game that you were recommending that people should check out, you can message us on our Twitter, The Good Game Podcast, and let us know which games you think has changed a lot on the since launch. But some of the ones that they were talking about, some of the ones they listed off in the article, 
one of the first ones at the top of the list was there's no particular order, but one of the first ones was Diablo three. It was uh I my myself only got Diablo three because there is it's just this is a weird promotion. There's this one year in um, World of Warcraft history where they do anything where if you basically sign not really like a contract but you agree that you're gonna play basically keep a subscription to WoW for one year and one of the benefits from that was you get the um, basically the same price as buying six months for the whole year and then they gave away a couple games with that and one of the free games they added gave away with that was Diablo 3 so that's how I got it myself I wasn't really into it so I played it myself when it first came out I enjoyed it but there was like I was I think it was my first game in that genre so I wasn't really like I didn't like fall in love with it because I wasn't my kind of game, but I enjoyed it. What about you? What did you think of Diablo 3 when it came out? Uh, so <laughs> I was hoping you would ask. But before I get into that, I do want to say one one quick thing here. If you happen to be catching the podcast on YouTube, because we are on YouTube as well, you can also let us know in the comments what games you think are worth revisiting in this time. Now on to Diablo 3. So I had the pleasure of playing Diablo 3 in the beta, and let me tell you a little bit about my history with Diablo. Back when PC gaming was first becoming a thing, like there really wasn't a whole lot of it going on, because a lot of people didn't even have like home PCs at the time, I'd gotten my first PC and I had this like games for Windows, like 98 disc that came with it, that just had a couple different demos for games and I just played those on loop, right? Well, one of those demos was Diablo, and I will tell you, I lost my mind with that game. It was so cool, and I was so into it. And Diablo 1 was just this thing that, like, absorbed my life for a while. And then Diablo 2 came out, and Diablo 2 was even better. Just, they went forward in every single way. Diablo 2 had so many cool things you could do. Like, I don't know how many of you at home will have played it, but my favorite thing was that you could legitimately play a necromancer and like spawn a hundred skeletons that would go fight for you. And it was hilarious because they would fill the entire screen and just basically take out everything in sight. And that was the power of the way that that engine worked was that you could kind of level skills as you pleased and you had all these different ways you could build and things. So then I got into the beta for Diablo 3 and I was extremely excited because I was like, okay. Graphics have changed a little bit. They've gotten a little bit more cartoony here, but that's okay. Like, we're trying to modernize. We're trying to get a little bit more stylistic. I get that. That's fine. I can live with that. doesn't need to be super realistic in a way that isn't super visible anyway because of the isometric view. Uh, okay, I'm cool with this. So I go in and I play the beta, and the beta at that point just went up to the first boss, which I think is like the Skeleton King or some something like that. And, like, the thing that immediately appeared to me was that so much of the depth of choice with your characters had been removed that I was like, this is where I take a pass. Uh, so I took a pass on it right then and there. Um, and then there was all the, the things with the cash store and all that, and that was a fiasco. But to my understanding, the cash store is out. The loot has been rebalanced, so you get less of it, but it is more applicable to your characters. Um, and I'm I'm not gonna say that it's not worth a look because i've known quite a few people that did enjoy it quite a bit and the writing is still there right like so the writing is still interesting it's got this this whole lore that's been built up over the the three games and that lore does continue and you get to see interesting characters return like deckard kane very glad to see him when i did get to see him in that game because i did play it for a little bit maybe a year and a half back just to kind of get a feel for it um 
that being said, I, I think it's definitely worth taking a look at again now if that's your type of game. Uh, but ARPGs, I kind of grew out of, I guess. I, I grew out of isn't the right word. I've just sort of grown distant from them. Um, and I, I will come back to that later on this list because there's another ARPG on here that I did play recently that really did scratch my old Diablo 2 itch. Uh, but we will get there. Uh, next up on that list was Final Fantasy XIV. Game Goon, you know anything about, about the launch of Final Fantasy XIV originally? No, I don't know nothing about the original launch. Okay, so <laughs> let, let me tell you a story. I have so, like, I'm sorry, guys. This is going to be story time with good. Uh, I'll try to keep it quick. So Final Fantasy XIII releases, it's on consoles, everybody goes nuts. One of the first console MMOs that was ever successful, it was hugely cool, it played to everybody's desires of what you'd want in a Final Fantasy MMO, it was different from everything out there, and people loved it. Final Fantasy XIV releases, and it is a buggy mess of confusing, broken, half-finished, nonsensical systems. Like, it was just not salvageable. Not salvageable at all. Hey, let me just a quick introduction. You mean 11 and 14. Was it 11? Oh, you're right. It was 11. My bad. My bad, guys. Th- this is why Game Goon is here to fact check me because sometimes I get confused about things because I'm an old man. Um, it was 11. You're right. So anyways, 14 comes out and it's just a mess. Like th- there's not a lot that people had to say that was good about it. Uh, so I actually watched a documentary about this and... Square Enix took the feedback that they got on it and like they basically just knuckled down. They they bit down and were like, we need to rebuild this. Uh, so what they did is they made some steady improvements to Final Fantasy XIV, the original version, as they went on and got player feedback on those improvements. And then they literally, in an apocalyptic event that was, you know, timed and did end, they destroyed the entire world and they released Final Fantasy XIV Realm Reborn. And that completely reimagined the game, right? And now the game has job systems akin to something that you might expect from some of the Final Fantasy titles, most famously Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, So that's very appealing. I played it for a little bit. Uh, It didn't hold my attention, but MMOs have a problem holding my attention anymore because I have grinded all the grind that is in my soul with the exception of Warframe, which I can't. I wish I could explain to you guys why the grind in that doesn't bother me, but I can't. So we'll move on and maybe come back to that later. Anyways, Final Fantasy XIV, though, is by all accounts a game that I've heard nothing but praise for as of late. Uh, it also did the... We, we talked about this before. They, like, suspended the house payments for people during the pandemic. So I would definitely say give them a look if you're looking for something to play. Okay, so we've kind of been... We talked about uh, Darks and Demons. You know, we got Apocalyptic MMOs. Next on the list is No Man's Sky. I got a space game who... Definitely had a, like most of these games, these are games that have come a long way since their launch. Had a rocky launch. A lot of people, multiplayer is kind of non-existent. The kind of people saying they liked, uh, there wasn't too much randomization. Basically, people kept running to like the same monsters or the same animals, multiple um, planets. People, multiplayer is non-existent. They had things where people went to the same planet to try and play with their friends and they can't they couldn't because they're instants but years updates later most recently like the most recent update for no man's sky they just actually added mechs into the games so you can have 
kind of like a mech suit you can get in for like mining or helping you build a station or a base. And it's come a long way. Multiplayer is easier. You definitely just uh, log in, play with your friends, build a base, fly around. Kind of decent. It's come a long way. Okay, so you had me at mech suits. All right. So No Man's Sky, as GameGoon said, I I totally agree. The launch was really, really rocky, mainly because of uh, promises that were kind of impossible to keep. And, And there was a lot of discussion about that being because they got a lot of funding all of a sudden and they had all these aspirations and a lot of people, you know, over, over shoot the mark a little bit when they have an influx of cash and think that they can do more than they're actually capable of doing with it. But it does sound like they've made good on it. I have friends that play this game and say that it is now one of the better games in their, you know, their libraries. So I would say definitely worth giving it a look. In fact, now that I think about it, I might actually add that one to my list to check out because I love my space games. Uh, but from spaceships to pirate ships, let's let's talk about the next one on this list, which is Sea of Thieves. Uh, sea of Thieves is a pirate sandboxy game. This had a, a big run of popularity for a short time on Twitch, and then it kind of died down a little bit. Uh, but to my understanding, they've added in some additional activities like fishing and things like that that make it a little more fun to kind of just do when you're hanging out with friends. And I guess they're also moving it to Steam. Yeah, uh, when it initially came out, I had a friend who was kind of, he likes kind of selling ships, kind of selling games. So he bought the game for me and we played it together when it initially came out. And uh, there wasn't really much to do. Basically, is you got maps and you went and got treasure. Then you took treasure back to the guy who gave you the map. You could fight uh, other people if you ran into them. You could shoot a couple of skeletons, eat bananas. That's about it. But yeah, they've added lots of updates now. There's like the weather systems got better. They're different. Um, there's like the tales of the things. There's a lot of more stories. And the most recent thing they just added is they added the kind of emissary system. Which they're basically emissary systems for each of the kind of the main factions. Kind of... Influence to the way that you play the game. Basically, there's one for the spirit, kind of spooky people, like the want you to collect skulls. There's the merchants who want you to get the different animals, fishing, stuff like that. Then there's the gold, the people who just want treasure and gold. And then there's the PvP guys who they want you to go around, blow up other people's ship, take their treasure, and take it back to them. And for doing these different kind of emissary quests, you get the cosmetics for your ship. Get fancy sails, hulls, cannons, costumes for you or your pets. So it's definitely sandbox was pretty small and thin when it came out, but it's grown to be a lot of toys and a lot of features. The only question I have is why don't I own this game already? Um, that's a joke, but it's not. I love pirates, guys. If you've watched me or listened to me long enough, you know I love pirates. Uh, that is super exciting. Uh, So I guess we're going to bounce once again from naval ships back up to spaceships with Kerbal Space Program. Um, I I am curious whether or not you have actually played this game. (laughs) I have not. Okay, so I tried, guys. I tried for a very short time to play this, and I am not smart enough to play this game. Like, there's actual physics involved in it, and, like, it's a space launching thing. And I am not a rocket scientist, so nine times out of ten, I just killed a lot of Kerbals trying to get something into orbit and never quite made it. 
so yeah, I guess that over the course of their release in, I believe it was 2011, they've added in new parts for the ships. They've added in new planets, all new gameplay systems, all sorts of fun, different things for you to do. And I guess a lot of people don't even try to get to space anymore. They just build cool stuff and see what happens. So if you're one of those people that is actually mathematically inclined and enjoys these types of sort of mathematic puzzles and, and physics games, then definitely jump back into Kerbal Space Program, see where it's at now for the, you know, for the current time versus when you may have last played it. Um, I, I will never, ever be able to play this game without just killing a lot of Kerbals. And I feel really bad for them, so I'm not going to do that. Well then, okay. I guess that's where you keep killing your people. We're going to go blast, get blasted back into kind of a fantasy setting with Lord of the Rings Online. Lord of the Rings Online is kind of the MMO, obviously made in the kind of the was it is it the is it RL oh token the token universe for the movies and stuff has constant updates. Been getting a lot of story, lore related storylines, edition. And obviously, if you're a fan of the books and stuff, then it's kind of great, kind of MMO game setting in this kind of world that you will probably love to be in. Have you ever played Lord of the Rings Online? I have not, but I do realize that you just almost mixed up J.R.R. Tolkien with R.L. Stein. But I'm going to let that slide. I'm going to let that slide. <laughs> um, one thing I do know is that unlike the movies and the books, depending on your perspective, there's a lot more going on in Lord of the Rings Online than just walking really, really far. Uh, I have a couple of friends that used to play this almost religiously and very much enjoyed it. And I think the, the biggest component of that, the game for them that they enjoyed is that it is so deeply tied to the lore. So if you're like a Lord of the Rings lore fan and kind of a a nut for that stuff like you read it all you consume it all like you can name the true names of all the characters and things this is probably for you that's a little bit over my head like i never got that deep into the the lore in lord of the rings because it it is massively deep there are like non-mainline books for this that have been published that have all sorts of crazy details in it that most people don't know and i am one of those people uh, that being said, if you're one of those people that do know, that do read those books, this is probably a good thing for you to check out. And now we're going to move from this fantasy tactically military, well, I guess tactical military. Actually, that is fitting for Lord of the Rings because it is legitimately all about wars between different species of fantasy characters. Uh, we're going to move into a non-fantasy setting and check out Squad. Squad is a, a military, it is a multiplayer, but it is a multiplayer military tactic game. It's somewhere between Arma 3 and Insurgency with a lot of focus on teamwork. Uh, so if you were one of those original sort of DayZ players or just even an Arma 3 player that really wants to get in there and tactically military gameplay with your friends, I, yeah, I'm running out of adjectives here for this. But yeah, if you want something a little bit beefier than Call of Duty, maybe a little bit more serious, give Squad a look. Uh, you might have some fun. And uh, once you're done saving some hostages, working for a PMC in the middle of who knows where, what desert, you might wash up on a shore in a strange land in another fantasy setting. This is the uh, Path of Exile. Path of Exile was kind of a. This is the second ARPG on this list. It's the kind of same genre as Diablo 3. It initially launched with kind of three acts. 
and a couple of classes and various systems to kind of reiterate their own spin on the ARP kind of dungeon crawly system. And I think initially it, it had good reception, but there wasn't probably enough content there to keep people around. But over the years, they've been keep having constant updates. They're even working currently on Path of Exile 2, which is going to be launching in the near future. But they're just iterating on the design and bringing more things and trying to like keep their seasons and leads to kind of keep people coming back and bringing you new challenges and stuff to play in the game. What's been your experience with the game? So I actually did give this a try a little while ago because Twitch was like, here, have free Path of Exile stuff. And I was like, why, thank you, Twitch Prime. I'll go take a look at this game then because my friend plays it and loves it. Uh, so Path of Exile is the game I was talking about earlier that scratched that Diablo 2 itch for me. It is right there, folks. If you want to go back to the times of Diablo 2 when you were crunching numbers and making your build perfect, and I mean perfect, then Path of Exile is the game for you. Tons of versatility. Uh, it is so deep that like it, I legitimately spent a night studying before I really dove into it. And like I could play it before doing the studying, but I'm a, a min maxer when it comes to these types of games. So like I did my research and I was like, OK, I need the perfect leveling build for me kind of thing. Um, and one of the things that really gets me about this game is that there's all these deep class specializations, which do harken back to more of that traditional ARPG setting. And there's cool things like you get your own hideout, which you can decorate by unlocking decorations through gameplay and all sorts of other stuff. Like, it's just, it's right there, guys. It's right there. It's really great. Um, they use a very unique currency system in it that, that blew my mind. It is a game that is unashamed of being what it is. It says, I am an ARPG, and you understand that, so let's just assume that that's okay and run with it. And it does a great job of doing that. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely something worth checking out. And now a segue to a game that I actually was pretty good at when I played it. Um, that I am remiss to recommend people try. But that's because I have my own reservations, which GameGoom has recently pointed out to me may be misplaced. And that is EVE Online. So EVE Online, if you don't know, is a spaceship game, except for it's more like a naval ship game in space. And if you've played EVE Online, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's also been known as spreadsheets in space because that's kind of the entire interface. But I will tell you all a secret right now. If you've played EVE, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I am holding a EVE Online 10 Years Collector Edition Minmatar Rifter in my hands right now as I speak. There's another one above my lamp over there that was kindly hung by my fiance for me. I love EVE Online's lore. I love its gameplay. I love its settings. It's so fun in that regard. Um, the story of it is fun. It's I, I loved trading in it. I used to trade between all the major capitals and make millions and millions of ISK every day doing it. The one thing about EVE Online that I will caution you about if you're going to dive into it is there are people in it that are not brilliant and amazing like the game itself is. Uh, and I guess that is a matter of perspective. EVE Online's devs have a very interesting take on the types of activities that are acceptable in their game. It's almost like a social experiment. Basically, unless you're doing psychological harm to somebody in a very clear way, it's okay. 
Which means that if you do play this game, my single recommendation is try to remember that anybody you're talking to could potentially be lying to you, and just be very, very careful. Now that the doom and gloom warning is over, the game is actually, they recently, um, it is a subscription-based game originally, but they did in the last couple of years have added a free-to-play model to the game to where you can kind of have a limited play in the game for free and that's when i myself was able to i decided to give it a try because i like space games myself and not gonna lie i generally both times i've done it i get through this tutorial and then i did mining for a little bit and then i didn't play it anymore but i enjoyed i like the game the game looks fun the kind of combat's fun it is definitely kind of just a spreadsheet kind of watching your shit blow stuff up game but i enjoy it i won't i never got deep into it but I would recommend, yeah, it's probably good, like, definitely, I would say give the game, like, 20 hours of your time. You should have fun with it. Okay, so you know why you never got deep into it, right? It's because of the mining. Mining is a black hole in that game that you should never get sucked into, and this is, this is one thing that I will agree with some of the scummier hardcore PvP groups on. Mining is the worst part of EVE Online. And it's not the worst part because it's not fun. And it's not the worst part because it doesn't have a place in EVE Online. It is the worst part because it's the first thing that people fall into doing and it prevents you from experiencing so many better things that are out there. Um, so while it may sound like I'm, I'm maybe just a salty high-sec Care Bear that got... That's terminology. If you're somebody who only plays in high-security space, you're considered a Care Bear. Or somebody who can't handle the harshness of Nullsec, which is the zero-security space... I, on the other hand, when I played, was part of a Nullsec corporation. I was part of one of the biggest alliances in the game. Uh, probably the biggest alliance in the game. They're led by a group of bees that you might know. Uh, that being said, <laughs> EVE is a very, very interesting game. And just to give you guys an idea of the kinds of things you'll deal with, let me tell you a little, a little story, Game Goon, because you, you haven't heard this one yet. Um... When I first really got into EVE, I decided, you know what? I want to do it. I want to knuckle up and go down to Nullsec. I'm going to be one of those hardcore PvPers in Nullsec and just go for it. I got my economy figured out. I had a way to make money that was supplying me with as many ships as I could possibly lose because that's the best part of EVE is that everything you do has a cost and a reward. You take a ship out that's really nice and expensive, you might feel great, but when that thing gets blown up by some passerby, you're going to be real, real sad. So you learn to live like you would in real life, only it's a space game, so it's much more fun. So your little cheapo rifters, that was my favorite cruise ship right there. Uh, so anyways, I tried to join a big Nullsec organization. I actually made contact with somebody that was part of the B organization, who I will not say the name of, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, and I was told, I was told, contract over all of your stuff to us so that we can haul it down to Nullsec for you safely because we have transport chains set up. Which is true, by the way. They do have transport chains set up. I know this because, like I said, later I was in an, a corporation that was part of that alliance. Um, they have a, an amazing logistical and transport chain. Like, it's unreal. It's realer than real life. So that, that's one of the things that's very cool about it. Anyways, this was not that. This was a line member of that group who was basically trying to get me to contract all of my belongings in the game over to them so that they could take it, laugh at me, and then kill me. 
Um, and they also wanted me to pay them 500,000 ISK, which I frankly did not have because I got a really bright idea that I would make a ton of money by doing some trading. And I bought a resource that I did not realize was illegal in the system where I was taking it, which is why the price was through the roof. And I filled my hole with it and I put my ship on autopilot and I got nailed and it sent me into negative money and I had no way to get out of it because you were required to put money down in order to do missions. There was literally no way for me to crawl out of that hole unless somebody gave me money. Um, so I, I basically, when I contacted the guy, I was like, I, I have no money. I have nothing I can give you. And I went back and forth with him, went back and forth with him. And finally he goes, you know what? It's okay. I, I reached out to some people. We're going to get you in for free since you're having such a hard time. Just contract all your stuff over to me, fill a ship up with all your, your stuff you want to bring down that you need right away and come on down to this particular system and we'll take you down and we'll lead you. We'll lead you there. So here's what ends up happening. I'm not an idiot, so I sign over nothing to him, and I go down in a noob reaper and leave all my stuff back at, at station safely, and I jump through the gate, and I immediately get killed by somebody that is not in his corporation, but is in a corporation that I knew for a fact was allied with his corporation, and he goes, oh man, that was so-and-so, they're just, you know, they're a jerk, they didn't realize that you were with us, you should come back down again. And at this point, they're getting kicks because they think they just killed my, my clone and all this. So I come back down again, once again, in a throwaway newbie ship with a clone that has no implants or anything valuable on them. Oh, well, if you want to join, you have to actually make it to our home system on your own. So here's the thing. I did it. I actually made it to their home system on my own in a newbie Reaper just by jumping like I, I had no chance of surviving through every single system that I had to jump through to get there. Uh, and then somebody found me and killed me there. And that was my experience trying to join the bees. Now, to be fair, they do put warnings everywhere that if you try to join them in any way other than one particular way, this is what will happen. But that one particular way also costs money, which is very intriguing in and of itself when you consider that dynamic. Anyways, long story short, always protect yourself. Always make sure your assets are safe and don't trust anybody. Good story time. Sorry. It was funny, though. It actually was very funny. And like I said, later on, I became a part of that organization. And I will say this. When I did get to join that organization and participate in some of the wars, like that's the thing you really missed out on, Game Goon. There is no feeling in the world quite so exhilarating as tackling a ship that you know somebody has sunk six months of their life into building with a ship that somebody spent six minutes of their life building and knowing that because you did that, you're going to take that ship away from them. It is glorious. We digress. Yes. But yeah, these are, gave you, went through a nice list of games that are ongoing, ongoing games seem to be kind of a way of the future. These are just a, not a comprehensive list. There's plenty of other games out there you can try or even give a chance. Let us know a few that you recommend and yeah. Okay, so my, my long anecdote aside, Game Goon, what is your favorite ongoing game that you would recommend people try right now? Yeah, I right know the answer to that. It's the game I've been playing for about 13 years. World of Warcraft. Love the game. MMO has lots of, there's lots to do in it. If you 
There's people that do it for role-playing. There's people that play for the in-game content of just um, ratings, dungeons, PvP, PvE, or just like just questing and doing achievement hunting. There's really lots of activities you can have in this game, and you can kind of play your way. I second this as somebody that recently came back to WoW and uh, found a wealth of new content to explore lore-wise, which is my favorite part of the game. So I think that's absolutely a good one to suggest. And I'm not going to suggest mine because you all already know it. It begins with a W and ends with a frame, and that's basically all I play now when I have any free time. So, yeah, that that's mine. Um, I think it's great. I, I think that recently there have been some hiccups, but the devs did a thing today where they talked about those hiccups, and I am very confident that the future is bright for that particular game. Uh, so do let us know, folks, what games you think are worth revisiting, because I am always in the market for other things to check out. Uh, make sure to hit us up on our Twitter at Good Game Podcast. That is G-U-D-G-A-M-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T on Twitter. And then if you are watching this on YouTube, you can just let us know in the comments and uh, we will maybe reference some of the cool stuff you guys tell us about. So with that being said, Game Goon, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks for having me. And GG Gaming Industry.